We're here for another Wednesday night, February 15th. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 9. And last week we made it through verse 12. I'm going to pick back up right there at verse 12. And I'm going to read. And when I'm, as I read, I'm going to look back over here to my Geneva Bible. And I'm going to read some of the little notes that go along with some of these verses. And we're going to get through the end of 9 pretty quick. Then we're going to discuss some things, some important things you need to know. And you need to think about the theme of what's been going on in Deuteronomy. And remember, always remember because it says it so many times in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, remember, remember. Forget not, forget not, forget not. So we need to remember that this is a book that shows us a transition happening. So as long as Moses is teaching and giving a history lesson, he, you have to remember what Moses represents. Don't forget that. All right, now, all right, I'm going to try to save all that explanation until we get to the end of this chapter, and then we'll get, we're going to get into it. All right, so let's pick up with uh, verse 12, and uh, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for your word, and Father, we are here tonight to study your word, and we uh, know that we need the Holy Spirit to help us to understand what we're reading, to help us to rightly divide your wonderful word. Thank you, Father, for, for that blessing of the Holy Ghost and the blessing of your Son, and Father, for your protection and all that you do. Thank you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, verse 12. And the Lord said unto me, Arise, get thee down quickly from hence, for thy people which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They are quickly turned aside out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten image. And that's the last verse I read last week. So we, and we, we talked about what he was uh, referring to. And if you go back and read it, the whole story, uh, you'll see where... You know, what we were talking about as far as did the, was it actually worked on, sculpted, or if it just came up out of the uh, molten gold, did it just turn itself into the calf? And you see both. You can see both situations of which was it. Was, was it just Aaron's um, excuse? That's just, that's just what happened. Or did he help it along as well? All right, so what I forgot to do last week with this is I was talking about how Aaron should have stood up to all of the bad things that were starting to happen. But what he did is he compromised. He wanted to make everybody happy so they'd all get along. And what I, what I was, the whole reason for talking about that was to talk about that is what has happened in today's churches across America. We have too many 
churches that have compromised, trying to keep everybody happy. And in the process of trying to keep everybody happy, there's been a great divide. Right? You've seen it. Okay. So, if I know about a person, if somebody tells me all about a person that comes to the church, and I allow that to, to change the way I present a message, then shame on me. Okay? And it's very easy to do. That's why I'd rather not know too much about, you know, who's here. You know, there was a guy who came into the, uh, the Bible study last night. Oh, remember I was telling you all the first night we went back to, to do jail ministry, uh, we had like 13 people show up. It was 15 on the list, and it was 13 guys came. And the next week it was down to seven. And there was some, uh, what had happened is there was conflict between, in, in the pods over there, there's a, there, if you've ever gone in there, hopefully you haven't gone in there, but if you've ever been in that jail, maybe open house when they, before they opened up, because I went there for open house, and I got to do the tour of the whole jail. Well, not the whole jail, but big parts of it. So there's four different sections to each pod. One, two, three, and four. And some of them are arranged differently, and certain people are put in those where maybe they got separate cells where an individual can go inside of a cell and be locked in to protect them from some of the other people that might be in there. But the majority of them, they're open, and you have bunk beds all through there. And they all have to kind of get along. And it, it could be a dangerous situation when you're in there because you're not protected from anybody. So certain people that are locked up for certain reasons are in this one, and then the other general lawbreakers are in others. So when they all came together for a Bible study, there was a big conflict between the inmates that we didn't see at all in the class. So that's what caused a mess up for the following week. And I don't, I don't, I think he said there was about nine last week, and then last night we only had four. And one of the sections of that particular pod that comes to my Bible study, they're not even on the list anymore. That one section, they're off. So that's a little disappointing, because I can remember before COVID how many people came every week. It was, I had a really good turnout all the time. And it was the same, the same section. Okay, um, verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, oh, and the reason I went to all that was that there was one guy that was brand new last night that came in, and I kind of have a feeling that if I preached a certain way or if certain things come out, he probably will never come back. I've had that happen many times. I want them to be there. I try to tell them, look, don't try not to be offended. You know, I'm just going to tell you what the Word says, you know. It's not my personal opinion. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says. And if you get offended by that, you don't want to come back, I, I just hate it because I want you to hear the Word. You just need to hear it, and it'll, it'll help you. But we had a really, really good Bible study last night. 
Furthermore, the Lord spake unto me, saying, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. All right, so now the verse that I just read, 12, uh, this little note here says, So soon as man declineth from the obedience of God, his ways are corrupt. Now, that's a little note that was in the uh, Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible was written before the King James, and I think it was the number six. And that uh, magazine that uh, somebody gave me about the 400th anniversary, thank you very much, it's awesome. It has an article in there talking, about, and it lists the uh, se sequence of the first pers person who tried to get the uh, Bible translated into English, and usually their name would be associated with that writing. And then the next person tried, and then the next person... So it ends up that the way they counted it, Geneva Bible would have been number six in the process of trying to get a Bible perfectly translated from the Hebrew and the Greek into the English language. So that would make the King James the seventh try. The seventh try. And remember what we read in Psalm, is it Psalm 12? Where it said, purified in the furnace of earth seven times or something like that. The, the words of the Lord are pure words. And that's Psalm 12. The words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So is that referring to this wonderful King James Bible that we have today. Is that? I don't know. Something to think about, though. So the Geneva is really, really close to the King James. There's the words that might be different, they're synonyms. There are a couple places that the King James only people will pick out and fuss at. And I've seen those places, now I can't even remember what they are. But it's so few. Now the biggest gripe with the, with the Geneva was it had all those notes. So it was really the first study Bible that was ever came out. But there was a lot of things in there that, that, a, that a king would not like. And the king, king James was offended by all the notes that were in the uh, Geneva Bible. They actually banned any more production of it. And I think I've talked about that before. So when you see 1599, this is right here, 1599 Geneva Bible, this Bible could have come out in uh, 1602, 1605, but they always put 1599 because that was the last time it was legally able to come out. So they kept producing it, they just put the 1599 date on it all the time so they wouldn't get in trouble. It was a real simple thing to do, right? So... Uh, Lie not, though. Lie not. Shame on them for doing that. They were being sneaky. So the notes caused a problem with certain people. So even though King James had a bad motive, I think God accomplished what he wanted done by that. God always uses people, right? He doesn't normally just make something happen. He makes people do things. So King James, 
just like many people in the past, through all through the Bible, had bad intentions. Now, he was a very good Christian man, regardless of what you may have read about him. He was a very, very strong Christian man. But he didn't like the things that the Bible said or what the, the Geneva people said about kings and monarchies. He didn't like that part. So in, the, in an attempt to get all that out, we got a Bible that was just God's Word, which is exactly what we all needed. We didn't need man's little, little uh, two cents worth, right? Now, because you need to read the Word of God and only the Word of God, then go to your study Bible if you want to. But you need to read it for what, it, for what God says. If you don't understand something, then maybe you can go to something to have some notes and say, oh, yeah, well, that's pretty simple. I don't know why I didn't think of that myself. Or you may say, I don't think so. So never trust completely what other people say. 14 says, Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of thee a nation mightier and greater than they. Now this little note says, signifying that the prayers of the faithful are a bar to stay or to stop God's anger that he consume not all. If you know that story, God said to Moses, look, I'm going to wipe them all out and I'm just going to start over with you. And Moses said, no. That's pretty brave. God Almighty said, all right, Moses, I'm killing them all, and I'm going to start a new nation with you. And, and Moses talked him out of it. Can you talk God out of stuff? He prayed. It's right here. It says prayer, so in this little note, which is from man, says that prayer is so important that you can keep maybe save some people from death that they deserve. God's ready to, to crush them. And you say, no, God, don't, don't. Uh, and Moses was telling them, look, you delivered your people out of Egypt, and the Egyptians are going to say that you weren't able to deliver them to the promised land. And God was like, yeah, you got a point there. Isn't God awesome? He wants a relationship with us. And he's testing us. And that's what he was doing with Moses. He wanted to know if Moses would stand up for those people because a good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And Moses, Moses, standing between the people that deserve punishment and God, he was putting his life on the line. And that, I think that impresses God. Uh, king David, when he was very young, way before he was ever thought to ever be a king of Israel, he stood between a bear and his little lambs. And he beat, he killed that bear, and he stood between uh, a lion and his sheep, and he beat the lion. And every time he was tested like that, he was more and more being prepared to be the king of the nation of God's chosen people. And he would have died trying to uh, protect them. So Moses is a good example of another type and picture of Jesus, a type and picture of Jesus. He stood in the way. All of us deserved death and hell forever, 
but Jesus, the most wonderful shepherd of all, got in between, just like Moses did, and saved all of us. So I turned and came down from the mount, and the mount burned with fire, and the two tables of the covenants were in my, in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, ye had sinned against the Lord your God, and had made you a molten calf. Ye had turned aside quickly out of the way which the Lord had commanded you. And I took the two tables and cast them out of my two hands and break them before them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord, as at the first forty days and forty nights I did neither eat bread nor drink water because of all your sins which ye sinned in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Now He's saying these things over again. This sounds really familiar to you because, you know, he talks about it and then he talks about it again. And remember the, he's bringing up what happens when you steer away from God's ways. I'm trying, I was wanting to wait till we got to the end of this. But you have to see I, keep, I always talk about how this nation was formed and designed based on the Word of God. This nation was. But that's for a nation. You can, you can take all of the laws of God and put that in your system the best you can. I mean, definitely didn't take all of them. Oh, there's some weird ones in here, very weird laws for the nation of Israel. But there's some very good practical things that you can get from the laws of God. And when you implement them in a community or even a new nation, you're going to have a better nation because of it. And when you follow God's ways as a nation, you're going to be better off as a nation. The law of Moses was really just for the nation of Israel. It wasn't for anybody else. We are no longer... See, we've got to get all the way over to Deuteronomy 30 to start to see what I'm trying to explain to you right now. Because if you're trying to get gospel message out of what we've been doing here in Deuteronomy, you're not going to get it. But when you get toward the end of it, and now you're going to get a little glimpse of it in the next chapter. In, in uh, chapter 10, you'll, you'll see a glimpse of it. But Moses is speaking and Moses is teaching. Moses represents the law. It's getting us turned in the right direction. It's pointing us to where we need to go, but it can't deliver us to where we need to go. You've got to keep that in mind as we're reading this. You can use the principles of the Bible to live a better life and totally miss true salvation. You understand how that can happen? Really easy. Religious people do that all the time. Just religious people. They want to follow the law of God and they might be really good all-around citizens. But they're on their way to hell. Because they don't understand that we're not... We, especially if you're Gentiles, the law of God did not... Uh, did, wasn't for you anyway. But if you follow them, you will have a better life but it can't save you. So when Jesus came and died on the cross 
and was, was uh, that perfect sacrifice for all of us, then that law of Moses' age came to an end, and then it ushered in this dispensation of grace that we're in since, or we're in it now, and it started back when Jesus died on the cross and he, he uh, was resurrected out of the grave. When the Holy Spirit came down on the day of Pentecost, the church was born. The church was. So that it didn't matter if you were Jew or Gentile, you could come into the church. Now, we are under grace. Now, there's a whole lot of teaching in the epistles that are for the age of grace that look a whole lot like the law of Moses, but it's different. It is different. Then, after this dispensation of grace comes to an end, which could be any time now, then there's going to be that, that seven-year period of tribulation that completes the law of Moses' age, but then that's over for good. And then there's a second coming, and there's going to be all of the principles and laws of the kingdom will come into effect. Okay? And that's where you can read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and become a very confused Christian if you think that that applies to the dispensation of grace. Read it. Read it sometime. You can't measure up to it. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about the church age. So, extremely important that you rightly divide the word of God. Rightly divide the word of truth. Because there is going to be a kingdom age when Jesus comes back. The nation of Israel is restored completely. All of the true believers in the dispensation of grace or the church age, they're not part of any of that. They're not part of the old system for the Jews. They're not part of even the kingdom part of all of it other than that they are with Christ when He rules it. We're the bride. We're not the ones... We're not the subjects. We're actually the bride of the King. So you've got to see those three different distinctions that Jesus Himself talked about, but He spoke in a way that those who didn't have ears to hear wouldn't understand. So I hope that we all have ears that can hear and we can see these mysteries in the Word of God. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure wherewith the Lord was wroth against you to destroy you, but the Lord hearkened unto me at that time also. I mean, he's saying that the Lord actually listened to what his prayer was. That's Moses saying, y'all would have been dead if I hadn't have stood in the way. 20. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron to have, dest to have destroyed him. So he, I mean, that's anger in the heart, ready to kill somebody. He's about ready to mess up on, the, on one of the commandments there. And I prayed for Aaron also this... Uh, the same time. So, so the, Lord, the Lord wanted to kill Aaron. 
And, it, and it's like, Moses like, look, I am the reason that you're still alive, because I prayed for you too. And I took your sin, the calf which ye had made, and burnt it with fire, and stamped it, and ground it very small, even until it was as small as dust, and I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. And at Taberah, and at Massa, and at Kabroth, I'm reading out of my other, the one that doesn't have the pronunciation in it. Ye provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land which I have given you, then ye rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and ye believed him not, nor hearkened to his voice. Ye have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. So when he chose them, when God chose them, they've been rebellious ever since. 25, Thus I fell down before the Lord forty days and forty nights, as I fell down at the first, because the Lord had said he would destroy you. I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance, which thou hast redeemed. Through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look not unto the stubbornness of this people, nor to their wickedness, nor to their sin. Lest the land whence thou broughtest us out say, I already, already talked about this, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he promised them. And because he hated them, he hath brought them out to slay them in the wilderness. Yet they are thy people and thine inheritance, which thou broughtest out by thy mighty power and by thy stretched out arm. So we need to read a little bit into chapter 10 to kind of get the whole story in. So at that time the Lord said unto me, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and come up unto me into the mount, and make thee an ark of wood. And I will write on the tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest, and thou shalt put them in the ark. So if anybody ever asked you who was the first person to break the Ten Commandments, it'd be Moses. He threw them on the ground and broke them all to pieces. Now they had to redo them. And I made an ark of chittim wood, and I saw a note somewhere where it said it doesn't mean that uh, Moses himself actually made it, but he may have ordered it to be made. He told the people who did the woodworkers to make it. And hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and went up into the mount, having the two tables in mine hand, and he wrote on the tables, according to the first writing, the Ten Commandments, which the Lord spake unto you in the mount out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And the Lord gave them unto me. And I turned myself and came down from the mount and put the tables in the ark which I had made, and there they be as the Lord commanded me. And the, and, and the children of Israel took their journey from Baroth of the children of Jacan to Masurah, 
there Aaron died, and there he was buried, and Eleazar, his son, ministered in the priest's office in his stead. All right. So Aaron's died, and we're going to stop as far as reading in the Word, and then I'm going to uh, read something to you out of Lewis Spear Schaefer's book about what I was explaining to you a little earlier. And remember, he's just a mere man. He could be wrong. He could be wrong. But what I love about him is he takes different views and goes over them so that you'll understand why people have diff from different uh, backgrounds, different denominations, why they think the way they think. Okay, so what I was explaining to you earlier about you have to look at the three different types of teachings and laws and, and which phase does it pertain to. So this is titled, Independent, Sufficient, and Complete Systems of Divine Rule in the Earth. That's the title. Not the title of my message, but the title of uh, this little section right here. As has been stated, which I haven't read before this, so I don't know what I'm talking about. There are three of these systems of divine government. Number one, the teachings of the law of Moses. Number two, the teachings of grace. And number three, the teachings of the kingdom. Naturally, there is field here for wide expansion since these three systems of authority occupy the major portion of the Bible. A brief review only of the essential character of these systems is here given. And I'm looking at it going, I'm glad he did a brief review, because this is pretty impressive here. I, I don't know if I'd want to see his uh, drawn-out uh, writings on it. All right, the teaching of the law of Moses. This rule of life was revealed from God and accepted by Israel at Sinai and was at no time addressed to the nations of the world. It was a peculiar form of government for a peculiar people and accomplished a peculiar purpose in condemning the, future of, the failure of man and in leading him to Christ. Its full detail is revealed in the writings of Moses. But the history of Israel under the law occupies the rest of the Old Testament and the major part of the Gospels up to the record of the death of Christ. Did you, did you realize that? When you look at the Gospels, you're, you're, you're thinking, oh, I'm in the New Testament now. No, that's old law. And most of each of the Gospel, up until Jesus actually dies on the cross. So when Jesus would heal somebody, he, he would say, go and do what Moses required and take what you're supposed to take to the priest, he instructed them in the law. He was under the law until his precious blood was shed. In the doctrinal teachings of the New Testament, very much additional light is given on the character and purpose of the law of Moses. There the law is held in contrast with the teachings of grace. There also, as will be seen more fully in the later discussion, the law is represented as having passed out of force through the death of Christ. And it may be observed that after the death of Christ, 
the law is in no instance treated as being directly in force. The law of Moses was complete within itself. It was sufficient to regulate the conduct of an Israelite under every circumstance that might arise. No other rule of life had been revealed during the days in which the law of Moses was in effect. Hence, there was no temptation for Israel to uh, complicate her gover governing principle with any other. In her relation to God, that nation remained for 1,500 years under pure law. The law was given by Moses. This is a verse. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Now, the teaching of grace. Like the teachings of the law of Moses, the teachings of grace have not applied to men in all ages. These teachings were revealed from God through Christ and His apostles. Moreover, they are never addressed to the world as applicable to it in the present age. Listen very carefully. That sounds a little weird, but listen how he finishes this up but are addressed to a peculiar people who are in the world but are not of the world. See there? So this, this uh, teaching of grace, it doesn't apply to everybody walking around here until they're saved. Then it applies to them. These, these teachings constitute the divine instruction to the heavenly citizen and unfortunately fold the exact manner of life that each, such a citizen is expected to manifest even here in the earth. The full detail of this rule of life is found in portions of the Gospels, portions of the book of Acts, and the epistles of the New Testament. As light is given in these particular scriptures of the New Testament by way of contrast concerning the character and purpose of the law of Moses, in like manner, the very foundations of grace and its relationship are laid in the types and prophecies of the Old Testament. Now remember what we said about past and how you can, you know, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is showing you things about the Son, Jesus Christ. So the Old Testament and all the prophecies and uh, Moses... All of those things were pointing to Jesus. It is revealed that God dealt graciously with the human family from Adam to Moses, but it is also revealed that the precise form of divine government, which is the present teaching of grace, was not then disclosed, nor was it applied to men until the reign of the law had been terminated in the death of Christ. It is likewise revealed that the death of Christ was the necessary foundation for the present full manifestation of superabounding grace. It is equally as certain from Revelation that the teachings of grace will apply to the children of God under grace as long as they are in the world and these principles will cease to rule of necessity when the people to whom they alone apply are gathered out and taken from the earth at the coming of Christ. This period between the death of Christ and His coming again is not characterized in the Scriptures as a time when the supreme purpose of God is the governing of the nations of the earth. 
This age is rather spoken of as the times of the Gentiles in all matters of human government in the earth. Nor is this the age, the, uh, nor is this age the period in which God is realizing the fulfillment of his unchanging covenants with the nation of Israel. Right? So, so don't get caught up in uh, replacement theology. He's not done with Israel. He's never going to abandon them. They're always... People who don't understand the different dispensations get caught up in all those things. Nation of Israel, in this dispensation of grace, it's about individuals. But then in the kingdom age to come, it's about nations and not just Israel but other nations can, can come into the kingdom if they accept Jesus as the king. Are y'all good? Everybody good? I hope you're writing every single thing down. <laughs> All right. Now, just because there's, there's quite a bit more that I want to read out of this, but we're going we're gonna to save it till next week, so... We've got a little bit more to talk about as far as this dispensation of grace. And then we're going to get into the teachings of the kingdom. But I want to give you an example. The last thing we're going to do, I'm going to give you an example of... you got the Ten Commandments that we've been talking about. Moses is talking about the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy. He, he takes the Ten Commandments and he comes down off the mountain. He's so disgusted by what they're doing, he throws it all down breaks it up. Well, then they, they you just read, we just read where he got new ones. Now, here's, here are the Ten Commandments, and we're going to read each one, and then we're going to read something out of the New Testament that matches. This is only, it won't take long. All right, number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's, that is Ten Commandment, number one. In the New Testament, in the teachings of grace, you will get from Acts 14, 15... We preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God. That matches up with have no other gods before me. So they're go you're going out and you're telling people to turn from things that are no good at all. They're, they might be fun while you're here on this earth, but they lead to nothing. They lead to destruction. And we want you to turn to the uh, living God. Number two. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. In the teachings of grace, 1 John 5.21 says, Little children, keep your, yourselves from idols. That's teachings under grace. All right, third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And then in James chapter 5, verse 12 says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In the teachings of grace, no such command is found in the teachings of grace. There's nothing in the New Testament, nothing in the dispensation of grace that matches up with remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor thy father and thy mother. 
In Ephesians 6 verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Number 6, thou shalt not kill. Then over in 1 John 3.15 it says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. You know how, see how similar they are? But they're different. They're similar, but they are different. Uh, 7, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it says, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, and then there's a whole a bunch of list of other things, but dot, 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 shall inherit the kingdom of God. 8. Thou shalt not steal. Ephesians 4.28 says, Steal no more. 9. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And I already said it earlier, Colossians 3.9, Lie not. And then the last one, number 10, Thou shalt not covet. Ephesians 5.3 says, Covetousness, let it not be once named among you. So, we don't, you can say, I don't follow the Ten Commandments. Well, good, because that's the law, and you shouldn't be under the law. But, look at all those verses that are almost exactly like it that's in the dispensation of grace. But, we don't do these things because it's law, and we're going to get punished if we don't keep it. We do these things because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. And Father, I pray that we would be better equipped to go out into this world and to share your love with those who need to know you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.